You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. The Sewer Show. Squatters and unwaged airwaves. Presenting views, news and interviews from the Centrelink queues. Information on your squatting, legal and other rights. Troublemaking news from around the world. Coming at you every Friday between 5.30 and 6.30pm on 3CR. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join your hosts Anne and Kevin the second Friday of every month on The Sewer Show between 5.30 and 6.30pm here on 3CR Community Radio. This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions for the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone in our community has value. Well, hello, Kevin. Here we are on Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Hi, Anne. How are you doing? Look, this is um, uh, kind of a bit exciting because we're uh, brand new to the show. I'm very excited because Valerie Varfella has handed the reins over to us to drive the Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Excellent. Now, Valerie hasn't been on since late last year. Would that be correct, I think? That's right. So it's a a new sound for unemployed workers and we wish Valerie well and she can still be heard on 3CR on her show Arts Express at 9.30 on Thursday morning mornings. Excellent, excellent. So so what are we doing on the show, Anne? What, what, what are we doing? <laughs> we're here to talk about um, uh, macroeconomics to, That's right. to yes. unemployed people. That's yeah? right. So we are still going to be looking at issues around unemployment and underemployment and all the other kinds of employments. Uh, but I think we're probably going to take more of an economic uh, focus and Our favourite kind of economics, of course, is modern monetary theory, which is a kind of macroeconomics. Okay, so we're talking economics, but um, I've got to say, uh, and I've had this mentioned before, as soon as you start talking economics, people just glaze over. (laughs) They go, oh, what? It's a lot like tax and stuff, and you go, huh? Inflation, taxation, Um, I know. So... So why is this why is this important for us to speak to uh, unemployed and underemployed people um, about the macroeconomic situation? What's 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 the connection? What's going on? Well, I think uh, that if you're if you're struggling on Newstart or you're trying to make ends meet uh, with casual hours or you're working part time and not getting enough hours, uh, then often I think people will think, well, you know. What's what did where did I go wrong? You know, did I do the wrong career? Did I uh, marry the wrong person? Did I buy the wrong house? Did I not study hard enough at school? And sure, those things play into an individual situation, but there's a reason why there isn't a job out there for someone to go to, and that reason is the way the economy is managed, and the way we manage the economy are through these ideas, um, which are known as macroeconomics. So when we're talking macroeconomics, I mean, you and I uh, came into contact through a mob called Modern Monetary Theory, uh, Modern, right. Money, Modern Money Australia, mm-hmm. which, which was a, well, it is a group of people who are trying to get a better understanding of how the economy works uh, in a macroeconomic sense. That's right. We're a bunch of interested amateurs, really. And uh, I have to admit, Kevin... I don't have an economics degree. <laughs> um, and uh, neither do I. Um, uh, in fact, uh, I'm a handyman uh, and I've read half a textbook. Uh-huh. And I work in admin. <laughs> yeah, okay. But the, but the thing which kind of um, gets me is having been introduced to MMT, you get a couple of basic uh, under, a couple of things which are a basic understanding of how the economy works, mm-hmm. money in, money out. Uh, and with that comes uh, a range of uh, possibilities to address um, issues particularly with unemployment because if you understand how the economy works if you understand what the resources are if you understand how the political settings are managed from a very neoliberal perspective that's right you then understand that um, uh, the level of unemployment and how the unemployment how the unemployed are treated um, mm-hmm. is very much um, a neoliberal indoctrination a, a manipulation of the of the system that's right so what MMT is like it's like a tool um, for opening that treasure chest of what does the how does the economy really work how else could you do it 
Is there, is there a better way of, of, of managing things so that, um, so that so that we're not kicking people uh, at the bottom of the heap? That's right. But you know, I reckon uh, it's useful on all of this uh, to get to get some experts in along the way. Uh, uh, who might know a little bit more about modern monetary theory. Not a bad idea because your admin, I'm handyman, so nobody's <laughs> going to listen to us. I mean, <laughs> Why should they listen to us? Yeah, so experts with their expertise would be a wonderful thing. And you, you're not going to believe this, Kevin, but I've got one sitting right next to me. Fair income. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes by the name of Professor Victor Quirk. Hi, Victor. Just just a doctor, actually. Not oh. a professor yet. Oh, pardon yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Oh, thank you very much for having me. This is wonderful. It's just great that you, you're giving the program this uh, focus. Um, so, you That's know, I'm just, I'm just visiting Melbourne to do a talk uh, tomorrow in Carlton, but, uh, and it was suggested I might pop into the show here. Absolutely. And um, so I, I work with the Modern Monetary Theories founding Light here in Australia, Professor Bill Mitchell. I did my PhD with him, and I work with him at the Centre of Full Employment and Equity in uh, at Newcastle University of Newcastle. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm not an economist either. I'm 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 a, <laughs> I'm a political sociologist, but I I went there to study for exactly the reasons that you're doing this show, and that is that. To understand the economics is critical if you're going to understand the political sociology that sits behind unemployment and why people are unemployed. So if people are interested in learning more about uh, your many years of research into uh, unemployment and the, ec- and the economy, they can catch up with you tomorrow afternoon. What better way to spend the day than to run off to the uh, Kathleen Syme Library in Carlton? It's easy to get to. You just jump on a tram heading north along Swanston Street out of the city and jump off at the university stop and you're almost at the library. And there'll be plenty of time, I believe, for question and answers. So people who are getting new, who are new into getting into um, learning about economics, they can ask you their burning questions. Well, hopefully we'll make it an interesting afternoon, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for full disclosure, that's a forum that's being put on by Modern Money Australia and Kevin and I are both members of Modern Money Australia. Yes, and so the whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of you and I and and, uh, and people like Victor coming down and talking is, is not to preach to a bunch of uh, academics or... It's for everyday people to have a better understanding of how the economy works and what options are available to change, to change things. That's right. In my not-so-humble opinion, everybody needs a bit of macro. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm wondering if it's uh, a good time now to uh, introduce our first uh, recorded guest. Um, I was... was, One of the things I've come across a lot in MMT circles is... They will really bag out on the uh, on the orthodox um, economics, and I've often wondered to myself, is it really as bad <laughs> as they say? I can see Victor's nodding here. <laughs> it's worse. It's worse. Okay. And uh, so I met a young man uh, through Nina, which is the New Economic Network Australia group, uh, who are looking at various alternatives to the what we call the mainstream or the orthodox economics. And Duncan was telling me about his experiences as a student at both an undergraduate level and a master's level here uh, in Australia and overseas. And it, it got me realising that, in fact, as Victor says, it's it's as bad as you think and maybe worse. Shall we hear from uh, Duncan Wallace? Yeah, let's have a listen. Can we just go over what his, uh, what his background is just uh, before sure. we, we so, play? So Duncan is a PhD student at Monash University in Melbourne here and he's studied uh, economics um, both at a master's and undergraduate level. So he's a smart fellow. He's a smart guy. Smarter than us. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, that sounds good. I think we should hear from Duncan, um, uh, hear from someone who knows more than us to talk about some of the inherent problems with the system. Great. You're a PhD law student at Monash University. You've also got graduate qualifications in economics and law, and your BA was in metaphysics. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, my first question has to be, are you in the process of racking up a huge student debt? (laughs) Well, I think I've finished that process for the time being, actually. Now I'm doing a PhD, the government pays the tuition fees. Oh, good on them. But my debt's high enough, so uh, I'm sure they won't complain. Oh, there you go. (laughs) 
Now, here at Unemployed Workers Fight Back, uh, we have a focus on the wonderful world of macroeconomics. And this is because, you know, this is where all the thinking starts and then ends up percolating through our society, through into our media and into our government policy. And it eventually shows up as um, policies like the really punitive draconian rules that unemployed workers are, you know, required to live by. And given that most people are probably unaware of what goes on in the wonderful world of macroeconomics, I would guess that also most unemployed people would be unaware of the macroeconomic world. And of course, everyone needs to know because it's affecting all our lives. What I've seen of macroeconomics is to coin a phrase, when it's good, it's very good, and when it's bad, it's horrid. (laughs) (laughs) So would you say that would be a fair summary of the discipline? Yeah, absolutely. Tell me what it is that is in that field that is obviously being taught and being believed and then being used. What, what are some of the things that are going on behind the, in those sort of hallowed halls of academia? Yeah, well, uh, like you said, I, I'm doing a PhD and I have postgraduate qualifications in economics. It turned out that uh, economics was not the route uh, to go to uh, do any kind of interesting thinking about how the economy works. For example, monetary economics, the way I was taught it. This is in a monetary economic subject. You're asked to assume that there's no such thing as money. Um, <laughs> That's almost unbelievable. So we're studying economics and we're assuming there's no such thing as money. Not just economics, but this is a monetary economic subject. Okay. Um, so you assume there's no such thing as money and uh, you go on from there. That would be like studying biology and saying, oh, we're going to assume there's no no plants. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I've heard also of within the standard economic framework, there's this thing called the rational subject or the rational actor. Can you tell us a bit about what that is? And is that actually a thing? <laughs> yeah, so the rational actor is the assumed behaviour of an individual in the mathematical models you're asked to learn. And the assumed behaviour of an individual in these mathematical models is to uh, maximise leisure time uh, and maximise consumption and to uh, rationally do the exact amount of work which would maximise those two things. Work is necessarily assumed to be a bad and money is assumed to be a good and the more money you have the better it is which is obviously ridiculous. Um, Human beings like engaging in productive activity. I mean we're working now for free. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, We're not just lazing around watching TV and we actually don't want to maximise our income particularly. We want enough income to do the things that we want to do. All these words that come up with uh, economics like monetarism. I know myself, I was highly confused between that and modern monetary theory for a (laughs) while because they both use this sort of money kind of word, but they're actually diametrically opposite, almost understandings of how the economy works. Yeah. So monetarism is the monetary economics that I learned in my monetary economics subject. It's a, a model of monetary economics without money <laughs> so uh they uh so monetarism is uh an ironic term for their models i suppose yeah it's an unintentional irony yeah. well kevin i don't think you could make this stuff up <laughs> yeah well it's um uh it's it's certainly very Crazy. um you know one of the things that duncan said that really struck me was uh the way in these economic models work is assumed to be a bad, by which he means that we're all trying to wriggle out of being at work. Um, And what struck me about that was that's exactly the assumption that these uh, job-active agencies treat uh, uh, people and the unemployed workers who are forced to see these people as though they're trying to wriggle out of something and so they need a big stick to get them to work but as Duncan pointed out people do plenty of things that are productive without having a big stick behind them um, and 
The other thing that I was noticing about uh, what Duncan was saying was um, this idea of um, the the monetarism that works off these um, ideas of atomic individuals doing things, um, and they're missing the big picture. Yeah, well, the whole the whole like, as you were saying before, the thing about work work being a bad. Mm. That's that's a simplistic um, a simplistic way of looking at work. If you consider that people regard their, their self esteem comes from their their useful activity, so to to say that it's a bad is a simplistic and inaccurate. Oh, it's a very impoverished view of humanity, I think. And certainly, when I was volunteering at the uh, Australian Unemployed Workers Union, I never met one person who was just lolling around on the couch all day. They were all actively up and about doing stuff for their community. It's a, it's an integral part of, uh, of who we are as, as people. So uh, that that kind of um, very negative view of uh, a person's productive and useful um, time is. Uh, well, it's it's not going to shape well if you put it into economic terms, really, is it? That's right. And it, and Duncan mentioned that the school of thought that looks at people that way is called monetarism. So as we wend our way through macro, macroeconomics, we're going to encounter all sorts of schools of thought, and that's one of them. Indeed, indeed. Um, what are your thoughts on the on the concept of of work as a bad, money as a good, uh, Victor? Um, well, I was a. I was a CES specialist employment counsellor for about, um, I don't know, 14 years or something. And I worked almost exclusively with long-term unemployed and especially disadvantaged job seekers. And in that time, I, I th- I've estimated I sat down and had long conversations with about 12,000 long-term unemployed people. Wow. And in that time, I could say that at the end of those conversations and knowing those people and getting to know them as I did... There were probably eight out of 12,000 <laughs> that the fundamental problem was that they were, you know, lazy. Mm-hmm. And all the rest of them, getting a job would have made such a, sh- a change to their lives and it was all that they wanted. Right. You, you know and, what, though, Victor? I reckon if you transposed the, those percentages into the working population and even with people who exactly. are very well paid, you're probably going to find a bunch of lazy people who aren't unemployed. Precisely. Lazy, lazy lawyers, lazy doctors, lazy taxi drivers, lazy, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Train drivers, of course. Mm-hmm. So, to you know, uh, my view is that, and certainly my experience has been that the depriving people of the right to work is an extremely cruel thing to do mm-hmm. bec- because it is such an important part of human nature to, to have meaningful work. Right. Well, what we might do now is we might play a couple of station promos and uh, move on to the next section of the interview with uh, Duncan Wallace. Um, uh, so we'll uh, get back to this, uh, back, get back to that conversation uh, shortly. Three C I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to Three CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on the Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger. So you mentioned... A distinction between micro and macro. So for those of us who really have no economics background, can you say something about that distinction and why it's important to know it? Macro is about what happens when lots of people act together. So, you know, how does an economy as a whole function? In mainstream economics, their ultimate goal is to reduce the macro to the micro. So they really only see uh, the individual uh, level and try to extrapolate from the individual 
how the economy as a whole would function. And that's illustrated particularly starkly by their macroeconomic models, which assume a representative agent model. So that's so what that means is that you model the whole economy, let's say a state, a, a, a national economy. You model the whole national economy based on a single agent. So the single agent represents everyone in the economy. So the single agent uh, has to do the work of doing all the work of everybody and also doing all the leisure of everybody. And Wow. And this is this single agent who's rationally trying to maximise their leisure time and right. minimise yeah. their work. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, they become, at the end of the process for the student, this rational actor is turned into a whole bunch of equations. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it has its basis in a philosophy which is metho- uh, methodological individualism. You reduce everything to atoms. Um, oh, it's very reductionist. Very, then. very reductionist, exactly. This strong kind of reductionism was... Uh, you know, dominant position. And that's where this economics has come out of. Yeah, so microeconomics about the behaviour of the individual. Macroeconomics is about what happens when lots and lots of people interact together in an economy as a whole. If you base that on microeconomics, just on individual behaviour, and you just add all those things together, that can be... Uh, misleading and that was what kind of instigated Keynesianism so Keynesianism was a reaction to this microeconomic approach where you just go one plus one plus one plus one (laughs) exactly yeah great depression came around all of a sudden all this money wiped off the market and unemployment went up massively investment went down and they couldn't explain this on the basis of just individual behaviour. So Keynes, his great insight was that there's such a thing as aggregate demand. So there needs to be enough aggregate demand to sustain uh, an economy. There needs to be enough demand to create the work that's needed. Right. I really like that word aggregate because that really points to that difference, doesn't it? It's like Sounds like Keynes was the original, in economics, the original systems thinker. Yeah. He understood that something behaves as a whole. It's more than the sum of its parts, which are all these little rational actors running around like little robots or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe not the original systems thinker, but certainly one of the uh, earlier and more influential ones. I'm trying to imagine how this plays out when you've got your bureaucrats sitting there in Canberra trying to um, put out some policy for how the Australian economy (laughs) is going to work. If you've got someone sitting there who's influenced by this micro view, what would that look like? compared to someone who's using like a Keynesian point of view? So instead of uh, thinking about uh, aggregate demand and what happens when lots of people interacting together act in a certain way, what kind of economics does that produce essentially? Like if everybody's uh, trying to save at exactly the same time, nobody's spending money, uh, so there's no work going around, unemployment goes up, um, Oh, that makes those, sense. Those yeah. kinds of relationships. Right. So Whereas, because we're always told to save, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if every individual is like saving for the life of them. Yeah. And we all did it and we all saved successfully, then the aggregate or the, the macro economy would actually fall apart. Which is what Keynes uh, recognised to have happened in the Great Depression. So the Great Depression came about, money was wiped off the market. And then uh, because there was less aggregate demand that means businesses cut jobs they cut investment which just exacerbated the problem and hallelujah um, we we arrive at high unemployment yeah exactly which your microeconomists wouldn't see coming yeah exactly right. and particularly uh today's macroeconomists who bases uh their macroeconomics on the representative agent model which again remember isn't about aggregate demand that's about everybody in the economy being represented by a single agent. Yeah. And it sounds ridiculous and it is ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Um, you know, uh, they were saying, he was just saying, Duncan was saying that uh, during the Great mm. Depression, everybody was saving and therefore nobody's spending and that caused, uh, contributed to the, the Great Depression. Right. And it just uh, it just occurred to me right now that we have these uh, the interest rates um, being cut 
lower and lower, which is supposed to stimulate spending, keep the retail sector flowing. Right. But in fact, what's happening is that because we have so much debt, people are using the lower interest rates to pay off their debt. Pay off their debts. And they're not, uh, not, uh, it's not seeing, it's not going into the retail sector. No, they're not consuming more. So. Uh, are we seeing history repeating itself? <laughs> <Da-da>. <laughs> man, oh man, you know, we never learn. Well, that's uh, that's uh, something that uh, is known in economic circles as the paradox of thrift. The paradox of thrift. The paradox of thrift, which is the one of Keynes's great insights. Um, and, of course, we're talking about John Maynard Keynes, who, according to Wikipedia, is the father of macroeconomics. So, well, of course, uh, um, students of, uh, uh, of economics, macroeconomics, such as uh, you and I, Anne, who, yes, who, who have been talking about this for oh, days, weeks, possibly months, <laughs> possibly. Uh, are very, uh, very familiar with J- uh, James Maynard Keynes. But um, uh, other people might might not be. So we, we need to uh, we need to let people know um, uh, he's he's very influential in in um, uh, economic uh, progressive economic thought, um, certainly in the uh, second half of last century. Um, That's right. He died in. 1946, so he was around for the Second World War and shortly after that and basically got uh, Britain and so on through the war economically. Uh, And I think I might ask Victor this. uh, Would it be accurate to say that uh, Keynes produced a one body of thought that... um, uh, from that a lot of things have flowed, including modern monetary theory? Keynes's... um Concepts of aggregate demand management were the principal means by which Australian governments kept the unemployment rate under 2% for 30 years in this country. There you go. And um, uh, modern monetary theory is an example of a post-Keynesian economic school in that they've taken what Keynes uh, argued and brought it up to date and revised it and developed it. And there's a number of different post-Keynesian schools and MMT is just one of them. Right. So, yeah. so the post World War Two period in Australia and around the world was a very Keynesian period, you'd say. Absolutely, a Keynesian period, and so, its abandonment of full employment in the mid seventies was the rise of neoliberalism to displace that. So here we're seeing a, like a, a definition between two forms of uh, of economic thinking, where both of them. Um, uh, Exist in conservative capitalist societies. Uh, Post World War Two was was by no means a radical period. It was very, very um, conservative. Uh, yet it seemed to have more social awareness. There seemed to be more social inclusion, which which is, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, is a, is a Keynesian a result of Keynesian uh, principles. It was established in Australia by a very uh, progressive Labor government of Curtin and Chifley, and once it got established. Um, when the Conservatives got into power five years after the war ended, it was so well entrenched in the Australian psyche that the Liberals could not abandon it. Not until uh, sometime in the 70s, when we see the neoliberal... uh, There was a a hit on the Whitlam government that was done to part of that process of getting rid of Whitlam. So so my understanding, my my basic understanding is Keynesian economics is far more socially inclusive. Neoliberal economics... Uh, is all about the individual first and society second, uh, to some extent. But it's it's just it's also just a simple thing of of thinking in aggregate terms and saying that the public sector needs to spend money into the economy for the rest of us to have jobs, you know, to stimulate demand for work. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, going back to that idea of the aggregate and how that's different from just seeing things from an individual point of view. And I'm reminded of a time that I was on a ferry. Uh, and it was at night, and it was New Year's Eve, and I'm coming into harbour, and it's one of those giant passenger uh, car ferries. So usually when you're on these things, they're as stable as a rock, and you don't even know you're on water. And the captain calls out and says, and comes over on the loudspeaker, and he says, if if you want to see get a good look at the fireworks, run over to the, um, we wouldn't have said the left, but he might have said starboard. <laughs> And everyone runs over and the whole ferry starts tilting. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if there's more people on this thing, we're going to sink, mm. right? Mm. And I think that ferry captain might have been a microeconomist because <laughs> yeah. 
because he wasn't seeing the aggregate result of the ferry sinking. If your if your ferry captain was a macroeconomist, he would he would have he would have um, had a roster for people to go and have a look, <laughs> which probably doesn't work when it's New Year's Eve and midnight's going off at once. You know. right. We're talking about this the other day, and uh, being a handyman, I came up with my own analogy, which was. If if the economy was a was a brick wall, okay, and and so uh, here I am, I'm a handyman. I have to I always have to have the, the handyman's version of of, um, of economics to make me understand things. Sure. So you're building a brick wall, and you start putting bricks down one after the other, and and those bricks would be would be your um what do they call the rational actor or the uh, the representative agent, agent. The, the the typical person in your economy, just a, a Joe Average who is is um who is earning money, etc. So you're building your economy on these with these bricks, and you you build your first couple of lines. And the wall goes up higher and higher, but of course, um, if you keep building a single brick wall, just one on top of the other, without considering uh, the implications as, as it gets higher and higher, you realise that it's going to become unstable, and you need proper foundations, and you need stabilising factors, etc. So, a, a microeconomist would build a brick wall with no consideration, um, and they, the, and they the just thi- think it's all about the bricks, and the thing would fall over. Whereas your macroeconomist would would, uh, would put in the stabilising factors, and so that's that's kind of how I think about it. Um, d- does that make sense to you, Victor? Makes, makes sense. Another another way is at the micro level when we're driving around, the curvature of the Earth isn't significant, and when we're operating at a macro level and we're flying across the, the world, mm-hmm. the curvature of the Earth becomes significant. Right. That uh, that all sounds sounds kind of logical, but we've got to transfer that to uh, an economic rationale, I guess, and and uh, so that's that's what we're trying to do. That's right. So uh, you know, with with your understanding your aggregate, aggregate, I think one of the things I realised that Duncan was at pains to point out to me that I wasn't even quite understanding while he was talking to me, and now I've I've come away thinking, oh, so in macroeconomics you've got macro macroeconomics and micro macroeconomics is that a fair characterization depending on what school of economics right. you're talking about yeah i think that's fair enough but i think his main point is that the fallacy of aggregation that is of thinking that if you can theorize about how an individual acts in a rational sort of way and then multiply that out by several million people mm-hmm. that will give you a sense of how macroeconomies work and it doesn't it doesn't at that's, all that's that's his point and i think yeah. i've heard that described as the fallacy of composition that's it that's the same yeah that's it <laughs> i love that phrase yeah excellent well i think it's time we pondered on that for a, a little a little while so uh let's just have a quick break uh, and we'll come back out of uh come back out of the break and uh continue the the interview uh, later on you're listening to unemployed workers fight back a show all about the economics and experience of unemployment and underemployment here on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on the Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger. Okay, so we just heard from uh, Alpine with their song Damn Baby. Uh, I'm going to be playing uh, the odd song on this show when I can get one in. Anne wants interviews and intellect, and I want a bit of music, but, you know, intellect always wins uh, on this show apparently. But uh, it turns out I'm just hearing a lot of good local female Aussie bands playing at the moment, and uh, through no other fact than that the music's fantastic, that's probably what you're going to be hearing a lot of. Um, uh, Well, 
when I get a chance to. But uh, look, we're going to continue uh, the interview with Duncan Wallace, um, who was speaking about, well, I think in this next section, he talks about some of the uh, fundamental flaws with the um, education system. So here's uh, Duncan Wallace. Well, I can see from what you're saying why there would be a student movement that's questioning, because what you're describing is actually what is being taught at what I'm assuming all the major universities in the Western world. They're churning out hundreds of students, thousands of students every year who've um, swallowed this line, hook, line and sinker. (laughs) But not all of the students. So um, curious to know what the questioning around this academic discipline of economics and macro and micro and so on, what does that look like in terms of student activism? Well, firstly, if I could just describe... A little bit about kind of what the subjects involved. Sure. Um, so I don't know if you did mathematics at school. Um. <laughs> you didn't see the look on my face, people. <laughs> I actually read Catch Twenty Two through most of my high school math classes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, being an economic student is a bit like that, really. Uh, you're taught a bunch of mathematics, uh, which is kind of unengaging. You know, you're taught. Models which involve a to the power of n equals x plus something, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you, I don't know if you did calculus, but you kind of derive them through according to mathematical laws and then you come out with an answer. And really, you're, you're learning these models, but you're not learning them critically. You're just rote learning them to reproduce the mathematical equations in an exam. So there's no critical engagement. You don't get to challenge the assumptions behind the models or anything like that. Uh, you're just rote learning these equations. And in my macroeconomics introductory subject of my master's, I remember the tutor saying to me quite explicitly, these models aren't supposed to describe the real world. You only learn them to pass the exams. And the lecturer knows this very well she just wants to be an academic she's not interested in describing the real world just publishing papers the papers that she needs to publish to continue on as a respectable economist or whatnot and that and that attitude everyone had that attitude the microeconomics lecturer said i know that these assumptions can feel a bit stretched and this doesn't describe the real world but it's something like a heuristic and you might as well learn it. That's damning. So, so there's actually a, a conscious understanding within academia that what they're doing is fairly irrelevant to the outside world. Yeah, exactly. And yet it gets used in the outside world with dangerous, you know, and um, appalling consequences. Basically for propaganda pers- purposes, so far as I can tell. So you can already see a couple of filtering mechanisms here. Firstly... Uh, you need to be good at maths. But if you're not interested in maths, you're not allowed to do economics. That's obviously a problem. So that's one filter. The second filter is not allowed to think critically. You're not allowed to challenge the assumptions. So if you want to have economics qualifications, you have to spend an awful lot of time learning these mathematical models which you know don't describe the real world and which you know you're only learning in order to get the qualification and in order maybe to speak the language of your enemy type thing. So there's two big filters there on people coming through economics education. And then the people that do get through it just reproduce it. They're good at mathematics, they haven't learnt to challenge, and they just assume that the next generation of students needs to go through what they went through. Duncan, what you described earlier of your experience of being an undergraduate um, studying economics, I felt like there was sort of almost like a high degree of cynicism um, (laughs) doing the rounds. So I'm wondering, how are students responding to this? Yeah, so I did my undergraduate at the University of Manchester in England. Actually, while... I was a student, there wasn't too much going on amongst economic students challenging what was going on. Um, But uh, at the University of Manchester, after I left, students did organise and they set up uh, the post-crash economic society. So they're responding to the global financial crisis, crash, and and they 
said, what the economics we're, we're being taught didn't predict this, couldn't explain this. Why are we still being taught this economics? Good question. How is that possible? They set up a very impressive movement, really. And it was done with the support of the English Central Bank, Matthew Haldane in particular, who, who's high up in the Central Bank. I forget what he is now. Yeah, so with their support, they tried to reform uh, the undergraduate economics uh, curriculum. And all they wanted was to introduce some pluralism into it. So, you know, some economics history, some stuff about Keynesianism, some stuff about uh, Marxism, maybe. Quite reasonable demands. They weren't asking for a complete revolution and, and a complete rejection of neoclassical economics. So ultimately, so far, they've been unsuccessful. But they, like I said, they have set up a very impressive movement. So that spread from the University of Manchester um, and it's really spread globally so there's a group called uh, the rethinking economics society and that's come out of the post-crash economic society and they have a awesome website which you should check out uh, rethinking economics with lots and lots of resources um, including a map of uh, all the places around the world where uh, they're operating. We often see um, like the battle against neoliberalism when it hits the streets, you know, when there's a protest against a, a, a coal mine or whatever it is. But maybe what a lot of people aren't aware is that these battles are also going on in university campuses. And it's stunning to me to hear that these students have been going like for many years and they can't even get an alternative uh, an alternative and maybe more sensible view into um, some of the courses. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, with I mean, even with the uh, implicit, maybe even explicit support of the English Central Bank of the Bank of England. Right, they had support from the bank, which yeah. is an unusual source. But yeah. there you go; yeah. won't question that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they have to run the economy. They're kind of interested in having some economic students come through who know who know exactly. How, Body works. Who might be able to predict <laughs> yeah. what's going on? Yeah. But even then, they've they've still failed to get any kind of reform through. Yeah, which is uh, it's it's extraordinary. So that's the real world, uh, listeners. Just be aware that don't turn to your your orthodox economists to explain how things are. Tune in to unemployed workers fight back, and you'll hear some real economics. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing that uh, Duncan really opened my eyes to. I had no idea that there was a global movement of students actually um, questioning and protesting about what they're being taught. And I'm wondering, Victor, you've, you've spent a bit of time in academia. What have you seen? Well, that's precisely what motivated Bill Mitchell to, and to reach out to people around the world to develop modern monetary theory. Uh, they were looking for something that actually did explain economic phenomena and that's because so much of what has been um, you know the orthodoxy in economics is really just disguised politics it uses the mathematical equations to cut most of the population out of the discussion but built into it are all sorts of assumptions that have, you know, a, a, a clearly a, a political purpose. Right. Duncan mentioned that word propaganda, and I didn't actually follow him up on that, but uh, I'm wondering, did you have a take on what We've, that might be? Um, a great Australian academic, uh, Alex Carey, um, died in 1988, published a set of papers talking about the economic education campaigns that were rolled out in the 50s and the 70s in the United States. That 70s campaign was then imported to Australia in 1976 following the sacking of the Whitlam government and was run here for many years, pumping out literature. They brought Milton Friedman uh, over as a speaker. They ran his free-to-choose TV series on Channel 7 for 20, for 20 weeks. And year after year, they pumped out all the textbooks and guest speakers to speak to workers in factories and things like that. That went on in Australia for years to establish this orthodoxy. That's stunning to, to me. To yeah. displace the Keynesian orthodoxy. That's how the paradigm shift was brought about. It was actually engineered. It was very intentional. Hmm. And what we're experiencing at the moment with the rise of MMT is another paradigm shift where that the the approach has failed to deliver the goods and people are looking around for other answers and MMTs come along at the right time. Wow. 
Shall we uh, continue on with the uh, interview with um, Duncan? You know, this is the last section, and we'll um, come back to that. Uh, come back after that shortly. I'm amazed that you also have some spare time to be <laughs> managing editor, is it, of the New Economy Journal? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's a journal that's published by the New Economy Network Australia. Yeah otherwise yeah. known as Nina. And I was having a little look there. It looks like you've published about eight, issue, eight issues. Yep, eight issues. With a whole bunch of interviews and articles. So that's quite a project. Can you tell me what's motivating you to put so much of yourself into that? Well, me and a friend helped run the law school newspaper together a few years ago and really enjoyed that process and thought there wasn't too much uh, literature out there or uh, too many publications looking at kind of left-wing economics based on justice and sustainability. So if our yeah. listeners are wanting a nice fresh view on economics, they can go to your journal, the New Economy Journal, yep, yep. which is at neweconomy.org.au. Yeah. Um, I was having a flip through and I saw, um, I was a bit envious actually, because I thought, <laughs> oh, it's a bit of a scoop, because you got an interview there with Andrew Lee. Yeah, yeah. At the time, he was the shadow assistant treasurer for the ALP. And I'm a bit concerned about Mr. Lee. Well, from what I've heard, I don't think he's understanding the national debt from an MMT perspective. I was particularly disturbed in that interview that you did with him, which is that he didn't appear to discern any connection between like the climate crisis and economic inequality. Yeah. Uh, I was quite amazed at that. And I was just wondering, would you yourself see any connection between the climate problem and economic inequality? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the climate problems come out of very powerful societal forces managing to convince governments to ignore the opinions of their populations. Economic inequality breeds undemocratic processes, and I think that the climate and ecological crisis has got to where it is because democracy has been radically undermined. And, yeah, like I said, I think that's only been possible through increasing inequality and I think the two are inherently linked. It seems like we've got a perfect storm brewing over the next decade which is a potentially another global financial crash and also uh, the need to turn the fossil fuel economy around in the next 10 years. Yeah I'm not quite sure what to make of the future like I'm kind of optimistic person I was uh, very hopeful about Corbyn getting elected in the UK and I'm still hopeful about Bernie Sanders and if he gets in and, you know, that's the biggest economy in the world. Right, and uh, Bernie Sanders would be steering the American economy within the framework of a Green New Deal, mm-hmm. which, as us MMT fans <laughs> love to point out, is, uh, Stephanie Kelton is one of his main economic <laughs> yeah. advisors, and, of course, she's a big MMT economist. Yeah. So that would give you hope for the future, would it, Duncan? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. <laughs> We might wrap it up there as we leave it on a hopeful note for the for this time round. Yeah, no worries. Lovely thanks, to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Anne. Well, Mia Culper on that because I think I demoted poor old Andrew Lee. I called him Mr. Lee, but he's actually Dr. Lee. And in fact, at one point in his career, he was a professor at the Australian National University, and you wouldn't believe what he was teaching. Can you? <laughs> Can you guess what that might have been, Kevin? Economics by any chance? Oh, uh, what, what do you know? What do you reckon about that, Victor? Uh, yes, Andrew Lee's a well-known economist and Labor politician. Um, and, uh, again, he's in an orthodox school that, um, uh, yeah... Yeah. What, what I'm learning from the from the previous interview is is like uh, you sort of have a respect for somebody who call who's tra- trained as an economist, but then when you find out that what they're learning is rote learning and that they're just turning over the same old system, it kind of I don't know. I, I, if I hear the word economist, I'll be a little more sceptical about what sort of economist I'm speaking to. That's right. I think uh, we don't have to uh, set them up on a pedestal like some high priest, and we can actually start to question. Um, what they're telling us, and and I don't want to pick on Andrew too much, but you know, I think I'm sure he's a lovely guy. I don't mind prodding the system a bit, man. I think it's okay. Like, okay, we might be being a bit harsh, but what we're trying to do is get the conversation started. So, if Andrew would like to come on and and uh, discuss his point of view, we'd be more than happy to have him. That would That's be, right. So. That's right. We'd love a bit of bit of action on that. Uh, yeah. So 
you know, what Duncan was saying, I think, gave me a picture of a whole discipline that is churning out students uh, that aren't um, encouraged to think critically. And, in fact, if they can produce the mathematical formulas, that seems to be uh, about all that's required. Shall we break to a song? And uh, the weekend's coming up and uh, I'm planning to do not much at all and I think the, uh, the next song sums it up quite nicely. That was Jade Imagine with uh, Gonna Do Nothing, which is what I'm planning on doing this evening myself. Another great uh, female Aussie band, local and the rest of it. Now, we've been speaking with Victor, who is here for a reason. Uh, why are you here, Victor? Well, I'm down, I'm down um, from Newcastle um, to give a talk tomorrow at the Kathleen Syme uh, Centre. Right Library, on. I think, in Faraday Street, Carlton, between two thirty and four thirty. That kind of adjoins Melbourne University. It's it's um very very uh, near to it. So yeah, just around the corner from the tram stop. That uh, yeah, I, easy I, to get to. Easy to get to. Hmm. A lovely way to spend the afternoon. And I've been invited by the uh, Modern Monetary Australia group that's been set up here in Melbourne. Oh, which crikey, you, that, that's us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did we do that? <laughs> and um, and I thought so. I. I uh, um, I talk about the political sociology that you can draw on from uh, modern monetary theory. So I've been, for 20 years, I've been hanging out with these economists trying to make sense of what they're talking about and looking at what the social policy implications are. And Have you made sense? Yes, I think. Well, well, I think so. I that's, think so. That's good. So, and, so this, this. I'm sorry to interrupt. But I'm just. I've got to reiterate. This yeah. is this is a, a group that's set up so that anybody can come along to this. this is just open to a, the. A, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You just rock up. It's it's free. You just turn up. Um, do you know what time it's on? Uh, from it starts at two thirty, and we'll have a bit of, allowing for conversation and me ranting. Uh, it'll probably last about two hours, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I'll be looking. I'll be talking about the, the post-war full employment, how that came about through Keynesian economics and how it was, um, how it was um, dismantled during the 70s and talk about the job guarantee. Well, you know, as strange as it might seem, that sound that actually sounds fascinating. Um, for you Go and have a listen. Cause, um, uh, I can't wait. I'll definitely be there. Excellent, excellent. Well, look, um, uh, it's been a, a, a joy and a pleasure doing this first show, um, but uh, we've got to go. We've got to hand over to Mafalda, who's coming up next. So um, uh, if you want to catch us, we'll be on every second Friday, is it, Anne? Every, yeah, second no, Friday of the month. So Second Friday of the month. Not every second Friday, but the second Friday, Friday of every of month. month. So we'll see you next month. Okay, catch you then. You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join us the second Friday of each and every month as part of The Sewer Show on 3CR. We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Kevin. And I thank you, Anne. The pleasure was all mine. Oh, no, I insist. The pleasure was mine. Well, it wasn't all yours. I mean, I had a fair degree of pleasure on this show. It was uh, very pleasurable for me. Oh, no, Kevin, I was highly pleasured. You looked like you are having fun, and it looked very pleasing to you, but uh, I'm just wondering whether I had more fun than you did, because I had a lot of fun. It was very pleasurable. I have to say, it was Paradigm. I'm the child that never learns to read Cause no one's really